Welcome to Warcraft World's podcast. My name is Rachel and this is a podcast where we step behind the veil to take a look at some long lost and little known urban legends and spooky stories. To many, the town name of Springfield elicits memories of the TV show The Simpsons. However, we're not here to talk about the bright colours and slapstick comedy that we're all so familiar with. Springfield, Missouri is about 200 miles southwest of St. Louis and has a population of around 170,000 people. Roughly 50 miles north of the Ozark Mountains, Springfield has earned the nickname Queen of the Ozarks. There are several universities in the city and one of the biggest employers is the healthcare system. The Ozarks themselves give off an air of mystery and, nestled at their feet, you'd expect Springfield to have some stories that wander into the strange and unexplained. Today's tale takes us to the outskirts of the city and into the woods. Just beyond a cul-de-sac in the north of the city lies a place that has become a part of Springfield's urban legends. This area is littered with signs, trespassers will be arrested, video surveillance in operation, private property and neighbourhood watch operating here. You get the feeling that something happened here, something very strange. In fact, viewing the area on Google Maps is enough to send shivers down your spine. Large rocks block what was once the entrance to this area. That's if you can find the entrance because it's long since been hidden by trees and undergrowth. Welcome to our bino farm, Springfield, Missouri. Small towns are known for stories taking hold. Someone whispers something to a friend and before you know it, a large and complex story, which is often fueled by imaginations and lack of other entertainment, has spread across the town. That story then grows and evolves until 40 or 50 years later, it is being repeated by the generations of teenagers whose grandparents were probably the originators of the tale. Springfield's biggest and darkest urban legend is no different. Springfield Lawn Farm, or the Sheedy Property, is the correct name for the area that we're going to be talking about. The farm itself predates the Civil War and went through several owners, including a general, before being purchased by Frank Heedley. Frank Heedley, who was a college educated in agriculture, added numerous houses to the estate. The list included a stone pump house, bathhouse, ice house and one in which to live. The farm prospered under his ownership and was known for its dairy, draft horses, collies and even a cattery. Then there was the land itself. On February 3rd, 1911, the Springfield Republican noted that Spring Lawn Farm's environment for handling livestock is ideal. Situated, it is in the heart of a section of bluegrass country that is suppressed by none other in the world. Many of these acres have never been ploughed and are covered by thick, tough, velvety sod, so dear to the eye of the stockman. If those things weren't enough, Spring Lawn was also a local recreational spot. In the 1800s, the public came out here to race, ride horses and just generally enjoy themselves, said local attorney and historian John Halston in an article of 1980. Mr Heedley owned the farms around 1914. At that point, he sold it to Mike Sheedy, an Irish Catholic immigrant who is described by the past and present of Greene County, Missouri as having prospered through close application, good judgment and honest dealings. Mr Sheedy was indeed a self-made man. He moved to the United States when he was 15 years old and jumped between Ohio and Louisiana before initially moving to Springfield with the Frisco Railroad Railroad in 1870. After purchasing the farm north of Springfield, he set about raising a variety of crops as well as nine children, although some variations of the story say that he had just three daughters. The farm grew in size and it was known for being one of the most prosperous, wealthy farms in the county, says local historian Todd Wilkinson, who is also a librarian at Ozarks Technical Community College. Stone towers and turrets, remnants of Ireland, that sort of thing. Mike Sheedy died in 1934. By that point, the nine children had dwindled to three. His daughters, Agnes, Margaret and Helen, and their mother. How the farm got its nickname apparently comes from their caretaker. 
When Mike Sheedy was alive, he hired an albino caretaker to look after the farm. The caretaker was openly hostile to outsiders, whether they were trespassers or actual visitors, and would often chase them away. The farm had debts, and with the passing of Mike Sheedy, it was up to the caretaker to do the majority of the work. With the caretaker's penchant for hostilities didn't help them to sell much of the livestock, and the farm began to fall further and further behind on its repayments. The caretaker's reputation for violence against pretty much anyone that wasn't the family affected the daughter's ability to attract suitors, meaning that it was less and less likely as the months and finally years went on that the farm would be able to continue as an agricultural business, much less a home. Eventually the mother also passed away, leaving the three daughters all but trapped on the farm with their albino caretaker. As the farm was so far behind on repayments, a man was sent from the bank to serve foreclosure papers. The caretaker, enraged not only at the unwelcome visitor but also at the thought of losing what he had come to think of as his farm, killed the man and burned his body. When the police came looking, he claimed to not know where the man was and to threaten the officers with violence if they ever came back. Since they had no proof of any wrongdoing, they did nothing about the situation but did inform the caretaker that the property would be foreclosed and that he and the family would either need to make arrears with the bank or move off of the farm so that the bank could sell it for debt repayment. If you think paperwork takes a long time now, back then it took even longer. When the bank hadn't received a reply from the farm, they called the police for an escort and went to investigate. What they found shocked them. The farm was overgrown and stank of death. Around every corner, the people from the bank found the corpses of cows. All of them starved to death. But that wasn't all. The farmhouse had been burned to the ground, and in the ruins were the charred remains of Agnes, Margaret and Helen. No one knows what happened to the caretaker. The police came to the conclusion that he had either killed himself or run away once he had driven the farm into the ground and killed the three women. The bank took over the property, but collapsed a few years later when they couldn't find a buyer for the farm. But that's not the only tale that surrounds Springlawn Farm. Another version of the urban legend tells of a group of albino people living on the farm. Apparently it was a place for them to be safe from a world that otherwise at that time did not understand them. However, the farm had a dark side and was not the safe space that many believed it to be. The farm was more of a hospital and experiments were carried out on those who lived there. Those who died were merely buried among the trees. There was a report of a cemetery within the woods. However, no evidence of it was ever found. The farm was real and what remains of it is now hidden among the trees and bushes. Explorers have ventured in and photographed the ruins and even now the area gets plenty of foot traffic. But what happened to the rest of the farm? Well, that was built over in the late 1990s, early 2000s and is now an estate called Springlawn Park. Some say that the farm was destroyed by the family who owned it and whom were fleeing the story that had ruined their lives. However, the story has another sad twist to tell. The Sheedy family were real and biographers of them can be found scattered across the internet. Helen Sheedy was the last person to inhabit Springlawn Farm. Her death on January 28, 1979 prompted a downward spiral of the estate. Left uninhabited, vandals began preying on the farm, breaking windows and tearing down fireplaces. On September 2nd, 1980, the Springfield Daily News reported that the house was heavily damaged after arsonists filled a second-story closet with straw and set it on fire. It was also noted that the barn was completely destroyed, although it doesn't now note how that occurred. On September 10th, 1980, just eight days after the previous fire, the century-old house was burned to the ground in a spectacular blaze. According to the Herald Hillcrest High School student newspaper, the treasures of these buildings cannot be replaced. In 2009, the albino farm legend was turned into a horror movie of the same name. The movie was filmed in and around Marionville, Warrensburg and Willard, all located in Missouri. 
Upon release, it was panned by critics with one saying that it was unremarkable in every way. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the tale of Springfield's albino farm. While the remains of the farm are fenced off and supposedly under surveillance, people can visit. If you do, just beware that you may come face to face with the ghost of Springlawn's famous albino caretaker. If you like your books a little on the strange side, please do check out our website at www.roswellpublishing.co.uk. And until next time, stay spooky.